0: Listen, you don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. You don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. You don't have to spend your energy seeking favor and wanting to be noticed by people and longing to be liked by someone and longing to be needed and longing to be valued and longing to be celebrated all of that relational restlessness will kill you. It will exhaust you. In Christ, you are free. Free from trying to curry favor. Free from worrying about what other people think of you. Free from people-pleasing. And that means You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to prove yourself to God anymore. Prove yourself and say, oh, I'm I'm still Jesus. I'm still in my go through the Bible once a year program. I made it through Leviticus and here I am, Jesus. You don't have to prove yourself to Jesus with your Bible studies and your Bible reading plan and your service and all the opportunities and ways that you serve. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. And you don't have to prove yourself to other people. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven. You are righteous right now. You are accepted by God, and you are free from the exhaustion of always having to prove yourself. Listen, teenagers, students, get this now. And man, your teenage years will be awesome. You won't have to go to youth group and be like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And you'll just show up and you'll be free and it'll be contagious. And then we'll have the coolest youth group in town because we show up and say, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You'll be free. And then you won't carry it all into college and then into your adult years like some of us who are still struggling with this. You'll begin living free now. Oh, I pray you get this, teens, because us adults are still working on it. The gospel frees you from having to impress people and prove yourself and measure up and make people think that you're something that you're not. In other words, you're free and now you can just stop pretending. As Rankin-Wilborn says, to be found in Christ means that you don't have to prove yourself anymore. Your frantic attempt to find or craft an acceptable identity or your tireless work to manage your own reputation, these are over and done. You can rest in Christ. You don't have to be intimidated by anyone ever. Who are you? You are in Christ. And you no longer need to fear the judgment of God When God looks at you, he sees you hidden in Christ. This is freedom. This is confidence. This is good, good news. Listen, when you come to grips with what it means that you are in Christ, that you are united to him by faith, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You won't spend all your time and energy trying to craft an image or be somebody you're not or work tirelessly to get people to like you. And you won't wear yourself out. You won't run yourself ragged trying to manage your reputation and how other people view you. That's exhausting, isn't it? And you'll stop caring about what people think about you and you'll stop being a slave to what other people think about you. I mean... How great would that be? And then you'll finally start to rest and relax and enjoy life and enjoy God. I mean, imagine that. Imagine being so relaxed about life that you can really enjoy God. When you begin to understand that your union with Christ, and listen, it'll take a lifetime to do so. When you begin to understand your union with Christ, you won't be intimidated by people anymore. You'll be free You'll quit obsessively thinking about what other people or even what God thinks about you. And you'll just simply rejoice that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Listen, if Jesus loves you unconditionally and he is pleased with you, you don't have to give a rip about pleasing anybody else. Now, it matters what the policeman thinks of you when you're going 65 miles an hour in a school zone. I'm not talking about that. That matters. It it matters what he thinks of you in that moment because you're going to get a ticket. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about this relational restlessness that we all uh, deal with every single day. You'll stop just caring what people think in that sense, and you're free. Then you can relax because you live in the unabated favor of and the perpetual delight of God. And therefore, you don't have to live as, a fear of, uh, live as a slave to the fear of man. And you don't have to be a paralyzed people pleaser anymore. In other words, you, you'll figure out that you are free. Free from always trying to defend yourself. Always trying to prove yourself. And that's what Paul will tell the Corinthians. So turn in your Bibles to Second. Corinthians chapter 5. We're continuing our series, Neon Gospel. And let's look at verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Okay, let's just stop right there in the middle of the verse. Paul is continuing his thought from what we saw last week. Paul knows that every single human being will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And some will show up on that day already in Christ. They will show up forgiven, adopted, justified, accepted. And they will have that verdict in hand. But others who do not belong to Jesus will show up on that day. And they will be condemned to hell Forever, And that's why Paul says here in verse 11 that the fear of the Lord causes him to persuade others. Paul knows that the scariest thing that could ever, ever happen to a human being is to show up at the judgment seat of Christ without the righteousness of Christ. But what is the fear of the Lord? We looked at this during our Advent series a few months ago when we were in the book of Haggai, I'll briefly explain it now. The fear of the Lord means two different things for the believer and for the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, appearing before God the judge should strike fear in them. Why? Because without God's forgiveness, without Christ's righteousness imputed to us, without being declared righteous by God, we could, one, never approach God, and two, we would never want to. Without the cross, God would only be a dreadful judge of whom we would be afraid. Without the cross, we'd be scared to death of God. And unbelievers will be scared to death of God on that final day. That's the fear of the Lord for an unbeliever. But for the believer, To fear God is not to be afraid of God. To fear God is to live in awe of His unfailing love for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Being afraid of God, like an unbeliever should and will be on that final day, being afraid of God is not the same thing for the believer as fearing the Lord. To fear the Lord for the Christian is this awe and this wonder That overcomes us as we embrace the staggering truth that in Christ, God loves and forgives sinners. And so the fear of the Lord is actually a beautiful doctrine. It's life-giving. It's good news. I mean, imagine that. The fear of the Lord is good news for believers. In fact, it's something you need every day. Because it's this awe and wonder that an infinitely glorious, holy God sent His one and only Son to save a sinner and rebel like you. And so, the fear of the Lord is this joyful trembling. It's this trusting awe. That's the fear of the Lord. Joyful trembling. It's trusting awe. And that's why Paul preaches the gospel as he says in verse 11, and wants to persuade people. He wants them, number one, to escape the wrath to come, to escape eternity in hell, so that, number two, they can be made right with God. They can be declared righteous, so that they can be forgiven and adopted into God's family, so that they can experience this trusting awe and this joyful trembling that is available to sinners in the gospel. And so therefore, knowing the positive and negative aspects of the fear of the Lord, Paul wants to persuade people. Listen, keep persuading people in your life that don't know Jesus. Keep praying for them and saying, God, please open their eyes. If you don't save them, there's no way they're going to be saved. It's all on you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, regenerate them. Open their eyes. Listen, don't stop persuading the people that you know in your life who don't know Jesus. Knowing the fear of the Lord will cause us to say, oh, Jesus, please save them. And to call out to them when the opportunity arises, to call them to repentance and trust in Jesus. So Paul wants to spend his energies persuading people of the fear of the Lord, but Paul does not spend his energies persuading people to like him, and he doesn't spend his energies defending himself. Paul doesn't spend his energies trying to prove himself. In other words, the apostle Paul is not a people pleaser. He leaves all of that business in the hands of God. Because of Jesus, Paul is free. And he doesn't spend all of his energy trying to get people to like him. Nor is he devastated when they don't like him. Paul will spend his energies trying to persuade people to come to Christ. But he will not spend his energies trying to prove himself or gain someone's favor. Look at verse 11 again. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance And not about what is in the heart. The Greek word that Paul uses here for commend means to bring together, to to put together, to kind of get these things together and, and make a case. So Paul is not putting a resume together to try to win the hearts of the Corinthians. He's not putting together, he's not putting himself together and trying to make a presentation of himself to impress people. He's not doing that at all. He doesn't spend his energies on putting himself together so that other people accept him and so that other people will like him. He doesn't spend his energies defending himself or his reputation. And when he says in verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you, he uses a present tense verb in the Greek. So Paul is saying that he doesn't always go around trying to prove himself. He is not constantly trying to earn people's favor. Paul was content in trusting that God knew his heart. God knew his motives in ministry, even if other people didn't. And Paul also acknowledges that the Corinthians should know who he is. He says, I hope it's known to your conscience who I am. I shouldn't have to put myself together for you. You should know who I am. Because remember, he planted this church. He was their pastor. They knew him. So Paul did not need to commend himself to them. Or as he said earlier in chapter 3, he said, You don't need a letter of recommendation from me. Back then, churches would welcome traveling preachers and teachers and you would show up with a letter of recommendation from the apostles and leaders in the church and that's how you vouched for someone. Paul's point here is that he, and in chapter 3, is that he doesn't need a letter of recommendation for the Corinthians because he's the one who planted this church. In fact, Paul says, what I am, I'm known to God. God knows and they knew him too. The Corinthians are his letter of recommendation. So Paul shouldn't have to defend himself because they should know his heart. Now, it's true that Paul is defending his ministry in the book of 2 Corinthians. He is defending his apostleship because of the super apostles, that group of false teachers who had invaded the church. So he is defending himself here. But that is not the same thing as commending himself putting himself together to try to curry favor. The super apostles, on the other hand, who had invaded the church, they wanted Paul to prove himself, to give evidence of his leadership capabilities. They tricked the Corinthians and persuaded them that Paul was a terrible pastor, he's a terrible leader, and now some people in the church wanted Paul to prove himself, to demonstrate just what he had done. They wanted results. They wanted proof of his apostolic credentials. But the Corinthians themselves were a living, breathing letter of recommendation. They were the results that the super apostles were asking for. The church itself was proof of his credentials. So Paul is not commending himself and trying to get the Corinthians to like them. He's actually giving them a reason to boast, or that word means to rejoice. He's giving them a reason to rejoice in his ministry. He wants them to be able to shut down the super apostles and answer their accusations that have been leveled against him. The super apostles... In contrast to Paul, were always comparing themselves to one another. We'll see that later. They boasted, Paul says here, they boasted in outward appearances. Their knowledge, their great preaching skills, their degrees from seminary, the books and articles they published, how many followers they had on Twitter. The phrase in verse 12 that Paul uses to describe the super apostles when he says, Those who boast about outward appearance. In Greek, it's literally, Those who boast in the face. The super apostles boasted in the face, not about what was in the heart. They boasted in their giftings and their speaking abilities, their knowledge, their seminary degrees. But God doesn't look at those things, does He? He looks at the heart as 1 Samuel 16:7 says let me read it but the lord said to samuel do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because i have rejected him for the lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the lord looks on the heart i think paul has this verse in mind as he writes this letter Ralph Davis, commenting on 1 Samuel 16, 7, says this, and I think it applies to what was happening in the Corinthian church. He says, There is at least one thing we can seek to do. Beware the impressiveness of external appearances. We stumble here, for example, when congregations or denominations select pastors. What we seem to want are the movers and shakers the aggressive extroverts, the pushers who meet people well and sell the church in the community, who are smooth in the pulpit, do we ever ask, how does he pray? Does he enjoy being with his wife? Can he weep? But if this text reveals our need, it also gives us reason for praise. Sometimes Yahweh must save us from our Savior's. Our self chosen solution to kingdom needs or personal dilemmas, and how often he has. I think the Apostle Paul would agree with Ralph Davis. Beware the impressiveness of external appearances. Paul is not like the super apostles at all. He doesn't put stock in his personality as the litmus test for success in ministry. He doesn't rely on his Enneagram number. How in the world did Paul do ministry without knowing his Enneagram number? He doesn't make ministry about him He doesn't want to be praised. He doesn't need affirmation. He doesn't commend himself. He doesn't put himself together like the super apostles. They focus on outward appearance and not what is in the heart. Not where the spirit is at work. They needed approval. They lived for man's approval. But Paul is content to rest in the fact that God accepts him. So he doesn't need human approval because he has God's approval. So Paul is basically saying, listen, God knows who I am. I don't have to go around and try to impress others. I don't have to put on a mask and be somebody outwardly that I'm not. I'm free. If I boast, I boast in the cross. Paul trusts in God. He rests in the fact that he is accepted in Christ and therefore he has all that he needs in Christ. Listen, in Christ, we already have all that we need. We don't have to go seeking approval from others. God accepts us. Think about that the infinitely glorious triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God accepts people like us. We can rest in the truth that God knows our hearts. Even if others doubt or question our motives, we rest that God knows us. And that means, Christian, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You don't have to prove yourself to other people. You're free. Now you're free to just go love God and love your neighbor and serve people. And just, man, the pressure is off. You can go live life and enjoy life. You can come into church on Sunday morning and not worry. Does that person like me? Do they not like me? Oh, I don't know. It was weird when we were talking. Maybe maybe they don't like me. I don't do that anymore. You say, Jesus likes me. You don't like me? Okay. Paul is showing us here that because of the gospel, because we are accepted in Christ, because we are justified, we don't have to labor to get the approval of other people. We're free. We're loved. We're accepted by God. So it really doesn't matter what other people think about us. In fact, Paul has been trying to convince the Corinthians of this for some time. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says, But with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Wow. It's a small thing if you judge me, Paul says. It's a small thing to me if you don't like me. Wow. Who wouldn't want to live that way? Paul doesn't get worked up. When someone dislikes him or speaks behind his back, it's just a small thing to him. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place like Paul? How do we get that place where we're not slaves to the fear of what other people think of us, where we actually believe and feel that it is a very small thing to be judged by someone? How do we get to the place where we're no longer people pleasers, Any people pleasers here today? Tim Keller gives a few signs of people pleasing. He says, signs of people pleasing, trapped by anxiety. There's this over need to please, the inability to withdraw from exploitative relationships, the inability to take criticism, unable to confront others, feelings easily hurt. We overcommit out of a desire for acceptance. Are you a people pleaser? I'm sure most of us struggle with this to some extent. Do you want to be set free from the fear of man today? Are you a people pleaser? Are you crushed when you are criticized or when you receive negative feedback? If so, how can you be set free from that bondage? Let me ask you, are you tired and exhausted from that relational restlessness, from constantly trying to prove yourself to God and prove yourself to other people? Listen, in order to be free, we just have to look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus in the scriptures, we find someone who was so secure in his Father's love that he truly did not need man's approval. He did not care about anyone's opinion. He was not a slave to what others thought of him, and he wasn't swayed by appearances. In fact, you know what? Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, and yet he couldn't make everybody like him, could he? He literally never sinned. He was perfect, and yet he couldn't control what other people thought about him. In this, he's God. He can do what he wants. But you know what I mean? His perfection, his sinless life did not stop people from not liking him. In order to be free, we have to look to Jesus. If we're honest, we can all become slaves to what people think of us. We can go and spend our energy trying to get people to like us, to like our posts on social media, to approve of us. We just want to be loved and liked by everyone, right? And we all struggle with this. We're like Sally Field when she won the Best Actress Oscar in 1985 for her role in Places in the Heart. Do you remember that? Robert Duvall handed her the Oscar and she said this in her speech. I wanted more than anything to have your respect. And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. That's all of us in some way, isn't it? We want to be loved, and we want to be liked by people. The question is, why do we do this? Why do we live in the fear of man and live for people's approval? And then how do we get set free from this bondage? We have to look to our Savior Jesus. That's what Paul learned. He rested in his identity in Christ, and it really didn't matter what people thought about him. And that means he was free. Now he's free to love God. He's accepted in God. He doesn't have to try to, to, you know, maybe if I do this, God will love me. Maybe he'll like me. He's like, you know what? God accepts me in Christ. Okay, that's out of the way. And now I don't have to worry about what people think about me. And now I can just love God and love people. I can just go serve people. He's free. And that kind of freedom, when you get it all over your hands, it will cause your life and your church to flourish. But understand this, Grace. Insecurity Kills gospel flourishing in a church and in your life. If we don't walk in gospel freedom, then it makes us insecure. And insecurity like that can kill gospel flourishing in a church. Insecure people actually hinder the advancement of God's kingdom. Why? Because insecure people are always go around assuming what other people think of them, right? We all do this. Insecure people make judgments, and they treat people based on their own perceptions of that person. They're always worried about what others think of them, always trying to get people to like them, always living in the fear of man, always having conversations in their heads, and they make judgment calls and decisions, and they treat people based off what they think in their heads is going on in somebody else's heart. And we all do this, don't we? Well, that person must not like me. Well, okay, I do We do that, and that will kill gospel flourishing in a church if we don't give each other the benefit of the doubt. Let's give one another the benefit of the doubt. Let's just think, you know what? They love me. (laughs) Wouldn't that change the relationship? They love me. (laughs) That guy loves me. Oh, that's so good. But we all do this. We think we can overhear the conversations in other people's hearts. Even as we're talking with them, we're thinking, well, maybe they don't like me. And if we begin to believe that we know what is happening in other people's hearts, we start having these monologues in our hearts where we convince ourselves that we are right and accurate in our perceptions. And then we begin to act on these monologues. And we begin treating people based on what we think is going on in their hearts as if somehow we could really know what is going on in their hearts. And living that way and doing relationships that way will destroy every relationship we have because we're always assuming that we know what other people are thinking. Ugh. That is relational restlessness that will kill gospel flourishing in a church and in any relationship. And it kills relationships because we treat people based on what we think is happening in their hearts. And that kind of stuff will slow a church down. It will cause a church to stall out. John Bloom says, At the root of insecurity, the anxiety over how others think of us, the root of that is pride. This pride is an excessive desire for others to see us as impressive and admirable. Insecurity is the fear that they won't but instead they will see us as deficient. So what's the answer to this sinful problem that we all have? How do we stop having these monologues in our heart and conversations in our heads about other people and what they're thinking? I mean, do you ever do they ever have conversations in your head? How do we stop it? How do we deal with these deep-seated insecurities that drive everything that we think, say, and do? Well, for starters, we have to quit listening to our own thoughts, believing our own wisdom, We have to stop buying our own heart propaganda. How do we do that? We have to get low before the Lord. We have to humble ourselves. And then we have to rest in the truth that we live in the perpetual favor and unabated delight of God. That he smiles when he sees us. That he rejoices over us with singing. And so all of us, I think to some degree, probably need rest from trying to predict what we think is happening in other people's hearts. We need rest from assuming we actually know why people do what they do. Does anyone else, raise your hand if you do. Am I the only one that struggles with this? Does anybody struggle with this? Raise your hand. We're not going to like condemn you. Okay, good. That's a lot of hands. The rest of you, tell us how you do it. I Assume the answer is the gospel. But we all struggle with this, and oh, it just sucks the life out of you. We need to rest from assuming that we are wise enough to know people's motives. We're not. Only the Holy Spirit is. We probably don't even know our own motives. Oh, swallow that truth. And we desperately need rest from all of these dangerous heart monologues that we conduct when we only converse with ourselves. Heart monologues will destroy you. Heart monologues will destroy a church. And so will people pleasing. So what we need more than anything these days is rest. I mean, true rest. And Jesus offers that rest to us because he himself is our rest. And that means, Christian, you don't have to prove yourself anymore to God or to anyone. If you are in Christ, you are forgiven, and you are righteous and you are accepted and you are free, and you don't have to live in fear of what other people think about you. I mean, look at me. I, I should worry about what people think about me. Look at me. I should worry. How many times have people say, "You're the pastor?" Yeah. If anybody should worry about what people think about me, it should be me. We don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. You don't have to compare yourself to others. And you don't have to commend yourself like Paul says here and kind of put yourself together, kind of present a a resume to be able to go around and impress people. You don't have to do that anymore. And so I think if the Apostle Paul were here, he would tell you, if Jesus loves you, who cares if someone doesn't like you? You don't have to be a people pleaser anymore. What you are is known to God. You are in Christ. Who cares what you are in someone else's mind? Who cares what they think about you? You are accepted by the king of the universe. You are justified in God's eyes. So who cares if you're not justified in the eyes of someone else? You don't have to prove yourself anymore. Just relax. You're free. We'll see it next week, but it's the love of Christ that controls Paul. This is why he doesn't worry about what people think of him, because Jesus loves him. Jesus knows the worst things about Paul and still loves him, and that's enough, and that's why he's free. And if we're going to be free like Paul we must abandon all of our attempts to find our worth in anything other than Jesus and what he has done for us through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. If we're going to be free, we have to abandon all of our efforts to receive worth and value from other people and what they think or what they say about us. If we're going to be free, We must root our identity in Jesus and in His magnificent, redemptive love. Now, of course, we won't attain to some kind of perfect, settled, once-for-all confidence in Jesus that completely eliminates insecurity and completely eliminates people-pleasing from our lives we'll never reach that place until Jesus returns we will all probably have many moments where we live in the fear of man where we try to commend ourselves and put ourselves together for other people where we will exhaust ourselves trying to please others and where we will forget our freedom in Christ we'll never get over it all in this life but that's one reason that's one reason we come here every single week to get recalibrated to be reminded of who we are in Christ, and to be told that we can rest. And that's one reason why we have the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate today, so that we can bring our sins and our failures and insecurities to Jesus and receive His grace, so that we can experience freedom all over again, so that we can rest. We'll close with a quote from Elise Fitzpatrick, she said in her book, Found in Him, the joy of the incarnation and our union with Christ. She said this, think of it. Jesus has already suffered for all your idolatries. For every time you worship something or someone other than Him, you are forgiven, you are righteous, you are loved. You don't need what those other gods are promising you. You already have everything in Him. Here's the good news. You don't need anything more than you already have. You don't need great wealth or status or cars or luck, a truly meaningless word. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are blessed. You are loved. You don't need to have bigger houses or assure yourself of your worth because you know how to play the ponies or beat the system or because some person finally approves of you. Jesus has paid it all, given it all and loved you immeasurably. Let's pray. Father, it's true we do invest so much of our energy seeking favor, wanting to be noticed, and longing to be needed, and seeking to be valued and working so hard to be celebrated by mere men. But behind all of our relational restlessness, Father, and all of our angry demandingness and our perpetual busyness lies this quest to find our rest and our peace in you, to know that you love us and desire us and that you greatly delight in us. Wonder of wonders, Father, We have it in Jesus. We have it fully in Jesus right now. Hallelujah. Free us from our unbelief, Father, and make your favor more real to us than anything else. Fill us with your peace. And forgive us, Father. Forgive us as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. That's why you gave this meal to us to remind us of your magnificent redemptive love for us. We can just say thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.